time. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 6. Uh, we're going to read the first 14 verses, and we will get into this this evening. And I want to give you the title before we get into it, Legalism versus Holiness. Legalism versus Holiness, Law versus Grace. One of the things that we're going to see as we go through this passage this evening is when we look at Christendom as a whole, we tend to get, not saying you as, as individuals, but Christians as a whole across the, uh, I would say, America and the world, one of the things about Christianity is when you know you're saved, we can get complacent. And the concept of we know that we live under grace and not under the law, and it's very easy to say, listen, I can do basically whatever I want now. Uh, um, I'm free as a Christian, and there is truth to that, but there are boundaries that God also presents to us. So we're going to be looking at the concept of are we doing things from a legalistic concept, which we'll explain, or are we doing things because we want to live like Christ and be holy, two totally different concepts. So we're looking at, are we bound under the Mosaic law? Are we commanded, you must do this, bam, thus says the Lord, gavel drops. Or do we do things because we love the Lord, out of love for him, and out of grace? Let's go to Romans chapter 6, and we'll take a look at that this evening. Romans 6, verse 1, uh, and I guess I should turn out of Corinthians, that's not going to help, I'm getting ready for next month already apparently. Uh, we will be in 2 Corinthians next month. Just a super practical book. All right, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we, speaking of Christians, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus? Now again, we'll explain what baptism is here. It's not water baptism. I'll just give you that little hint right now. We're talking about spiritually baptized into Christ. We'll explain how that works. Verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized, better may be stated, placed into Christ Jesus, were placed or baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism or placement into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we, Christians, should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also, Christian, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, Based on all the things we just read, God says, Now therefore, based upon the first 11 verses, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Father, I pray now as we open up the only book that you've ever given us to read the precious word of God, I pray that you indeed would speak to our hearts this evening. Lord, this is an oft-confused concept. It's a heavy theological concept. So, Father, I pray that as we dissect this, as we open up and explore this passage this evening, that you indeed would speak to our hearts. Now, Lord, I pray that when we uh, walk out of here this evening, that our hearts would say, listen, I understand I'm not under the law. I understand I'm not constrained by the old Mosaic law, 
But oh, I love my Lord so much that I'm going to choose to live for Him and live a holy, separated life. So Father, help uh, uh, the Holy Spirit to have freedom to move within our hearts this evening. Please move us to draw closer to you, and we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. There we go. So tonight, how do you, you as an individual, this is a, a very personal message tonight, how do you live out the grace of God? Now, I'm going to make a generalized statement. My strong suspicion is the majority of folks here tonight have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday night crowd. Around the country, there's hardly any Sunday night services that take place anymore. So this is a, this is a rarity. And folks that say, listen, I'm going to come out on Sunday night, usually are pretty dedicated folks. That's why uh, you look at the crowd in the morning and then you look on Sunday night. It's a little bit different as far as uh, uh, the size go. Uh, and that's pretty much the way it is around the country right now. So most churches don't even have a Sunday night service anymore, but you've come. And uh, some folks say, well, listen, should we continue with Sunday night? The, uh, the uh, 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 culture is uh, not that many people show. Well, I, I, I'm looking around today. I say, you know, if the, I had this many people show for a Bible study, I'd be pretty happy. So I'm pretty happy tonight. So, uh, uh, yes, we're going to continue preaching on Sunday nights. Uh, we're going to continue uh, speaking the Word of God, and we're going to keep meeting. And I think it's a pretty good crowd tonight for Sunday night. So thanks for being here, first of all, and I trust the Lord will bless you. But as, uh, as Christians, and if you've never trusted Christ, you know who you are, uh, and we'll talk to you at the end of the message. But if you're here, you've trusted Christ, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, how do you live out the grace of God? That's really the question tonight. How do you live out God's grace on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis? Now here's a tough question. And I'll explain what it means. Do you take advantage of God's grace? Let me give you a quick little illustration. I have a son named Trevor. You might have seen him here once or twice. He's actually pretty sick right now at home. We didn't make it today, but he's on the mend, I believe. But Trevor was our third child. He came, I don't know, 100 years after my first two girls. It's like a 14, I think it's 14, I forget, 12, 13, 14, 12. She, my wife said, yeah, that's it. Uh, she's better with the dates. 12-year difference between my uh, youngest girl and uh, my son. So you say, well, uh, uh, did you spoil them at all? Well, um, yes, and <laughs> to be quite honest, and you know you just you just loved a little guy. Here here he is. You know yet uh, you 14 years or 12 years since you had your little baby girls, and uh, they were lovely. They were fun. And now 12 years later, all of a sudden God gives you this little bundle of joy. And uh, my wife, she said, "Oh my goodness, we're having a boy. What are we gonna do?" And I said, "Are you kidding me? This is the greatest news I ever had." Uh, I remember we're in we're in the car. And uh, we're pulling into Charcoal Grill, and Valerie looks over at me, and a couple of you have heard this, and, uh, and she says, Rich, she says, I, I need to tell you something. And I'm like, and you know, every time your wife says, I need to tell you something, I'm just like, oh boy, here comes. And, uh, and she said, I, I got the flu. I think she said something like that, I got the flu. And I'm like, well, that's not good. And she says, well, I got the baby flu. And uh, I'm like, my, my head, literally, I'm... I, I went forward. I slammed my head accidentally into the steering wheel. I was like, just shocked. I mean, I didn't want to expect that. I was, I was like, wow. Well, it took me a little bit of time, and uh, uh, it's like, wow, this is, I guess, this is a pretty good thing. Well, finally, when, the, when Trevor was born, I did spoil the living daylights out of him. Uh, I carried him around for the first 20 years of his life and uh, never put him down. That's why uh, once uh, he got so heavy I couldn't pick him up, my biceps, uh, went, went, I mean, they just went away. Uh, didn't have him to carry. But uh, you love your boy, and, and, and here's what can happen. And why I'm bringing that up is, did Trevor have the ability to get away with stuff he shouldn't get away with? No way. 
<laughs> well, hate to say it, but uh, you're wrong on that one. And, and of course, what does he do? Well, he, 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 and he was overall a good kid. I mean that sincerely, but he knew he could get away with stuff with me that probably uh, maybe mom wouldn't let him get away with or someone else may not let him get away with, but I'll let him get away with it. So he took advantage of daddy's good nature. Folks, that's exactly what I'm bringing to the table tonight. You try and get away with God's good nature because you live under grace and not under law. And uh, you try and get away with things because, well, you know, I think I can get away with this. So I want us to think about that tonight. Are you 100% dedicated to living for the one who gave everything? I love that song. Uh, I asked Josh to do it tonight. When you think about who God is, and all of a sudden it really hits, and it's not some, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, Larry, my Lord, little soul to sleep. If I die before I wake, you know, we, we went through that this morning. It's not a little rote prayer. So all of a sudden the reality of who God is strikes you, and it strikes you hard. And you realize His holiness and His greatness and His goodness and his grace that he gave to you when you trusted him as your Savior and saved you from an eternity in an awful place called hell, the lake of fire. And all of a sudden that relationship, and you want to build a relationship with the Lord, you want to draw close to him, and you want to be like a father with his son. And uh, it's not because you want to take advantage of it, but it's because you love your daddy so much. And it's like, I, I, I want to make my daddy proud. I was on... And I'm not even started yet, and i got three illustrations going. I was with uh, Jimmy DeYoung, and he preached here a few months ago. I was on his radio show. Um, we taped it on, I believe, fr- yeah, it was Friday. We were, they called it celebrating the one-year passing of Jimmy's dad. Actually, tomorrow, Monday the 15th, he, he passed away on August 15th of COVID, a horrible tough death that uh, he went through his dad and when I'm talking to Jimmy yesterday or Friday before we went on the air and I was uh, I didn't know what his mood would be but he was upbeat and I said you know uh, I said I miss your dad dearly I loved him as you know I love you and I do I love Jimmy Jr. and uh, he said well you know Rich he said I know my dad's in a better place. It reminded me of some book that we've been passing around. Are you in a better place? And uh, he said, you know, though, here's what, here's what I want. He says, you know, every single show we do, and they do one every single weekend. It's on uh, Prophecy Today Radio Network and mostly down south, but you can catch it on the Internet on prophecytoday.com. And Jimmy said this. He says, you know, every time I do a show, I'm thinking this, will my daddy be proud of me? in what we're doing here. Is my dad going to be happy with what we're doing? He says, you know what I I remember? And I'm like, no, Jimmy, what what do you remember? And he says, every time after the broadcast, uh, Dr. DeYoung would be on, he'd do all the interviews, and then Jimmy Jr. would do all the editing. And he says, you know, the one thing I wanted to hear, every time my dad would call me, because dad was always on the road somewhere around the country. Jimmy lives down in San Antonio, Texas, and here's what he'd say. He said, I, I just look forward to my dad calling. And you know what the words I wanted to hear were? Hey, Jimmy, you did a great job. Great job. You got the show just right. It was good. And uh, what did he not want to hear? He never wanted to hear a bad, bad report from daddy. He always wanted to hear daddy. Now, folks, we're talking about a grown man who said, listen, uh, he's in his 50s, and he's, he, he's thinking about, am I pleasing daddy? Is God pleased with what we're doing? Is my... Dad, my earthly father, pleased with what I'm doing. And that's exactly what Romans 6 is talking about. So we will examine, uh, if we get through them tonight, four convicting biblical truths regarding God's glorious grace. Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Shall we, Christian, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, y'all are scholars or you wouldn't be here on a Sunday night. So I'm going to give you one big fancy word, antinomianism, antinomianism. You can look that up when you get home, but I'll tell you what it means. The antinomianism basically is this. It came out during the early centuries of Christianity, and this was what was being taught. 
Well, I'll tell you what. I believe in God's grace, and I'm going to prove God's grace by sinning as much as I can to prove how much God's grace can be exemplified. That was literally the doctrine, antinomianism. I will sin as much as I can in order that God's grace might be evident. It's like, look how gracious God is. I did this and this and this and this, and I'm still saved, and I know I'm saved. That's a very, very poor way of looking at Christianity. And, of course, it's heresy. It's not right. It shouldn't have taken place. And it was known as a heresy, but it was a big deal during the first century. And uh, the Apostle Paul says, listen, those of you who said you can uh, do whatever you want to do and you can live licentious lives and you can live sinful, horrible lives and think that you're pleasing God by showing how gracious he is, listen, that would be like, let's go back to one of our children. That'd be like one of our children coming home and saying, hey, guess what I did, Daddy? I punched the teacher in the nose because I know you're such a gracious Daddy and you won't punish me and I wanted just to prove how wonderful you are. And then I went out and sold drugs. And then I went out and got drunk. And then I went out and I committed immorality. I, I, and I know, Daddy, you're still going to love me. And you'll never cast me out of your home. And I just wanted to prove what a wonderful Daddy you are. Didn't I do a good job, Dad? That's antinomianism. That's basically saying, listen, because God is so wonderful, because God is so gracious, I'm going to take advantage of him. And that's exactly what Paul's attacking here. And he says, what shall we say then, Christian? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's his answer? <laughs> no way, Jose. Uh-uh. Not to happen. This is one of the strongest indicative statements. It is a strong command in the Greek language, and it's absolutely, positively, no. This is not to happen. It's not God's design for God's people. Now you say, well, wait a second. This sounds like some legalistic message about uh, do's and don'ts. No, this is about how much do you love God? How much do you love God? How, how much are you willing to shape your life around what God wants us to shape it around? This is uh, 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 not about second-degree separation. It's not about following the law in order to impress God. This is about falling on our face and bowing the knee and saying, Oh, my, I just love the Lord so much. How in the world could I live in sin? How could I disrespect mom and dad? How could I go against my teachers and my bosses who have done so much for me? They've helped me. They, they, they've brought me through the tough times of life. They've prayed with me. They've cried with me. They've helped me. They've, they've, they've sacrificed for me. How dare I spit in their face? That's exactly what's being talked about here. God's saying, listen, I, I don't want you to sin. I don't want this antinomian thing going on. I don't want you to try to take advantage of my grace, God says. By the way, who wrote this passage? Did, did Paul write it? He did, but under what? The inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So God is making it very clear here through his uh, 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 apostle. He's making it very clear exactly what God desires. So this isn't Paul saying, okay, I'm the pastor of Unigrove Baptist Church or whatever church in the country, and thus says the pastor. No, this isn't thus says the pastor. By the way, there's no such thing as thus says the pastor. It's all thus says what? The Lord, biblicist. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on a, a delicate area here. We've talked about it, and I've done a message on what's called Lordship Salvation versus Easy Believism. I did that, oh, several months ago. I want to make it very clear as we go to this passage about what grace is, what salvation is, and what it's not. Paul is stressing here the concept to believers. I want you to, I'm going to go out of, out of range right now for a minute. Go down to verse 12. Romans 6, verse 12. Now, if there was, if lordship salvation was a reality, why in the world did God put this in verse 12? Therefore, Christian, he's not talking to the unsaved, he's talking to Christian. Do not let sin reign in your what? 
in your mortal body. By the way, what's the mortal body? You're living in it. This is the mortal body. Don't let sin reign in your... Why did, why did they have to tell that to people who had truly trusted Christ? And obviously, when you trusted Christ, He became your Lord and Savior, right? Well, there's such a thing called maturing. There's such a thing that uh, I pointed out, Jen, this morning, who's uh, about ready to have that uh, little baby, and there's a couple others here. And, and, and when that baby's born... It's so simple. God, by the way, God does everything with illustrations that we can understand. So he, he talks about a, a, a babe in Christ, B-A-B-E, babe in Christ. And when the a little baby is first born, you take it and say, that baby, you're on your own, buddy. Make it happen. I charge you, little one, to take care of yourself, to grow up, and to be a great person. Is that how we take care of babies? If we do, we will be in jail shortly. That's called abandonment. No, what does God compare to a little baby? And the little baby is born. And is that baby born mature? Absolutely not. And, and God talks about it. He talks about uh, uh, feeding a baby, what, uh, uh, the milk of the Word. Uh, uh, new Christians, uh, now, unless they're very intellectually smart and God really moves within them, it takes time for maturing to happen. Boy, I'll tell you, some folks get saved, they get lit up and on fire for God immediately. Others, it takes some time. It takes more maturing, if you will. So here's the point. When you trusted Christ, and, I, and again, I'm speaking to Christians tonight. If you've not trusted Christ, hang on, we'll get there. But if you place your faith and trust in Christ, it's a maturing process. Now, what's God basically saying in Romans 6? Don't purposely stunt the process. Don't take the meat and throw it in the garbage and go back to drinking out of the bottle. That's, that's really what he's saying here in simplistic terms. So what's he saying? Uh, 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 certainly not. Don't continue in sin, Christian. Now, why would God have to make this this clear if you were perfect the second you got saved? Well, folks, I hate to tell you, we were none of us, no matter how big a change happened, were perfect the second we trusted Christ. And by the way, I've been saved years, a lot, long time. I got saved when I was in, in high school, teenager. So I've been saved a lot of years. Do you, and, and I'm going to tell you right now. You say, well, Pastor Rich, are you going to confess your sin to us? Yes, I am. You say, well, what is that? I said, too many to count. Why? Because the pastor's still a sinner saved by grace. This is my story to God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Now you say, well, Pastor, do you need to tell us something tonight? No, I really don't. No. You say, uh, uh, did you go out and do something you really wish you wouldn't have done? Nope, not really. Um, have I uh, uh, gotten upset with things? Yeah, I've done that. Have I uh, been terse at times? Yeah, I've done that. Uh, are you perfect? No, I'm not perfect. Never will be perfect. Neither will you. We will not be perfect until what? Well, when we're glorified. Bible says I'm justified, or the song says I'm justified I'm happy in Jesus today. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone. And that is just why now I'm singing this song. I'm justified. Yes, I've been justified, as have you. Our slates have been wiped clean under the blood of Christ. But do we still make mistakes? Do we still do things we wish we wouldn't? Yes. But here's what God's saying. Don't you go out and sin on purpose. Don't you do things that you know are wrong just to prove how gracious God is. Does that make sense? I mean, it's pretty simple, and, I, and that's what this passage is stating. All right, let's move on. Verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were... All right, now here's that word again. We've gone through this several times. Go to, let, let's just turn. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 for one moment. We've got to go through this again because, folks, I'm going to tell you right now. What is the most divisive, critical doctrine that exists in the world today baptism baptism because every major denominational church tells their people that they are going to heaven because they have been 
baptized. That is a major doctrine in most normalized uh, uh, churches, if you will. The second thing is take the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper isn't taking anybody to heaven. It's a remembrance uh, to remember what Jesus did for us. There's people that are being sent down the primrose path to hell for believing these things. And God pity the pastors and the priests and the others that are preaching those false doctrines. Or do you not know? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just a couple pages over. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Let's go to verse 12. For as the body, speaking of the body of Christ, made up of each one of us, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Here it is, Christian. For by one spirit. Now in the King James Version, what's the word? What do you got? Anybody got a KJV with them? I don't have one tonight. Uh, uh, verse thir- or, yeah, verse 13, for by one what? Spirit. Oh, they have spirit. All right, I, I didn't know if they put the word ghost in there or not. Speaking of the Holy Ghost, speaking of the Holy Spirit, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. All right, now many of you have been here right behind us is a big old baptismal tank. By the way, if you've not been baptized after you've been saved, we've got classes lined up. Uh, uh, every single time you look in the, in the New Testament, after somebody receives Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, what's the next step? Well, uh, they get baptized. What do you mean? Well, they go into the tank. You say, wait a minute, where's the, where's the sprinkling thing where you sprinkle babies here? Don't sprinkle babies. You say, why not? Uh, because it's not, not biblical. There's not a single baby that was ever sprinkled in uh, uh, scripture didn't happen. You say, well, how about pouring? You must do pouring here. No, we don't do pouring either. Uh, uh, you say, well, why not? I mean, where, how, how do you baptize uh, 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 people or children or whatever? Well, first of all, we don't baptize children. You say, well, that doesn't sound right. Every other church does, uh, uh, not meaning Bible and Baptist churches, but other churches all uh, uh, sprinkle or pour on their babies or on their young people so they can go to heaven. Well, if that's what the Bible says, I guarantee you, I'd get the biggest, uh, I'd have water fountains flowing around here. That's not what God says. It's not a single baby that was ever baptized. Every single time someone's baptized, we look at the Philippian jailer, We look at the Ethiopian eunuch. We look at uh, others uh, that we could go to in the Scriptures. What happens? There are always people that have come to the point where they put their faith and trust in Christ first. They believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippian jailer uh, uh, comes out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Uh, Scared to death. And he says, listen, listen, sir, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And if your household will listen, we'll tell them about Christ. And what do they do? Acts 16, they go down to the Philippian jailer's home. What happens? They preach Jesus unto them. The Bible says they believed. What happened next? They got baptized. Why? Because baptism is a public sign of an inward profession. So, the word baptism, and we practice what? Sprinkling? Three, three choices. Sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. Immersion. Why do we practice immersion here? Well, because that's what the word means. The word baptizo, the Greek word, means this. To be placed inside. To be placed under. To be completely immersed. That's what the word means in the language. So when we're looking at this, and unfortunately, instead of maybe translating it by its meaning, they always use the transliteration when baptizo is used. Now, folks, I'm telling you, if you know the Greek language, there's a whole lot of words, most of them, that are not transliterated. We bring them into the English language. Baptized, they didn't do that. They said baptizo sounds like what? Baptism, we're going to stick with that throughout the scriptures. Well, it breeds unfortunate results. What he's saying here in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that the Holy Spirit, and it makes it very clear here, the Spirit, the moment that you place your faith and trust in Christ, places you into what? The body of Christ. It's nothing to do with water at this point. Same thing with Romans chapter 6. Or do you not know, Christian, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus. 
Again, I don't like that they transliterated the word. The word is to be placed into. That's what the Holy Spirit did. So he places us into Christ. Uh, uh, Jesus, we're placed into his death. Didn't happen when you got in a tank of water. A tank of water doesn't do a single thing for you except this. It's a sh- a, an outward sign to others. Listen, what do we do every time when we do baptisms here? And if you've not seen one, uh, we invite you to be here. And probably we'll have one in about a month after we go through the classes. What's baptism about? What do we do at every single baptism before we'll let them get baptized? What do we do? You got to give a testimony. You got to be like the Philippian jailer, the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip's preaching to him, and, and, and uh, uh, the eunuch says, Hey, uh, uh, Philip, I, I want to get baptized. And, and Philip says, Wait a second, buddy. And he just preached to him Jesus out of Isaiah 53. And, and he says, uh, uh, Well, he says, I'm, I'm willing to baptize you, but do you, believe, do you believe on Jesus? And he says, Oh, I believe with all my heart. He says, all right, let's go on down. We'll baptize you right in front of all the folks and all the people that are here, and uh, you can do it. Sure. And that's what it's always about. So we're looking forward to that. If you've not been baptized since you got saved, I encourage you to go in the back, sign up, and uh, you only have to go to one class. doesn't take that long to figure this out. Uh, but if you've been saved and you've not been scripturally baptized subsequent to conversion, we'd love to baptize you right here. Therefore, Bible says, we are buried with him through placement, if you will, in immersion, if you will, into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What's he saying? We died to sin. Wait a second. You say, we died to sin, then how come I sin? Take your Bibles, go over a couple of pages from Romans 6 to Romans 7 and chapter or verse 15. Now, let me ask you a question. If I was to ask you, what's your impression about the Apostle Paul? Do you think he was a pretty good guy? No comment? You can talk. Say what? Yeah, after he got saved. Great guy, right? I mean, a preacher, a missionary. Here's a guy that, I mean, you talk about a guy sold out for God. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. Now we go over one page about uh, from Romans chapter 6. Now Paul's going to testify a little bit about his struggle. His struggle. Wait a minute. I thought Lordship salvation kicked in. Paul would have been perfect after he got right with God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He walked with God. How could he struggle? Well, here's his testimony. Romans chapter 7, and let's go to verse 15. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking, one of the greatest Christians of all time. And here's what he said, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Wait a second, Paul. You stated you died to sin. How come you're still messing up? How come sin's still there? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. Because the Apostle Paul, when he talks about justification and glorification and sanctification, makes it very clear that it's going to be a struggle down here till that old sin nature is eradicated when we get to heaven. Unfortunately, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the old sin nature, it got squished a bit. The Holy Spirit came in. By the way, where's the Holy Spirit dwell today? In you, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Know you not, Christian, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says the exact same thing. Here's what happens to the Christian. Every time you do something you know you shouldn't, what happens? Mm. Right there. Right here, or wherever it hits you. <laughs> and the little butterflies go off, and the bells go off in your head, and it's like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. It was fun for a season. I did wrong. I enjoyed it while I did it. But, man, do I feel horrible now. Why? Because who's in there knocking on the door of your heart? Holy Spirit is saying, hey, Rich, why'd you just do that? What's wrong with you? (laughs) 
He said, well, when I, when I grew up and I was, those of you that are adults and uh, mom and dad are gone and it's like, I'm finally free, free at last. My mama isn't going to tell me what to do. My daddy isn't going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Yeah, someone's going to tell you what to do if you're a Christian because God's in there and he's uh, rich. Uh, my mom and dad, my dad went to heaven three years ago. He's a good Christian. My mom went to heaven about 16 years ago. And uh, yeah, I'm free from mommy and daddy. I, I love them. I miss them. But uh, I don't have to listen to anything from them anymore. I'm free. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because every time I mess up, my, my heart's door gets messed up. You know what I hate doing? I hate apologizing. You know, when I mess up on occasion, I spend more time with Valerie than anyone else on earth. We travel together. We do things together. We, I mean, she's with me constantly. And I've also preached about this. Familiarity breeds what? Contempt. You say, wait a minute. We see you and Valerie... Uh, uh, you're lovey-dovey, life is good, it just must be heaven on earth. Well, a lot of the times it is. But if I get in a fix about something, all of a sudden it's like, oh man, and I'll say something or I'll maybe get a little terse and it's maybe, come on, let's get this done. Or, you know, I just, it's inappropriate. I did it today. You say, are you kidding me today? Yeah, I did it today. It's Sunday. You know, when you get attacked while you're working and we're starting to drive here and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just disappointed in myself. And she's like, for what? Why disappointed in yourself? And I said, you know, I just, I knew this afternoon, I, I just got a little terse. We were trying to get something done. She had a PowerPoint she was working on for a, a, a talk that she's given on Tuesday. And uh, she couldn't get it working. And I said, just give it to me. Let me do it. And it's like, yeah, I, I, was, I was out of sorts a bit. It's like, I want to get it done. Don't mess with me while I'm working. And then all of a sudden, guess who's, wasn't mama, wasn't daddy. It's the Holy Spirit saying, listen, Rich, you're a knucklehead. Say, you shouldn't say knucklehead in church, they never do it. <laughs> and I had to apologize. Oh, I hate doing that. Mess up. And God says, listen, uh, uh, therefore we were buried with him through placement or baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we shall walk in newness of life. Paul said, I do not understand, uh, uh, Romans seven fifteen. for what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I will agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells that's the apostle paul talking folks for to will is present with me but how to perform what is good i do not find for the good that i will to do i do not do but the evil i will not to do that i practice now if i do what i will not to do it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells in me listen uh, uh, uh paul is saying listen I, I go through struggles i go through tough times i make mistakes and, and i i came out of Judaism where the law was strict and harsh and I knew what to do and not to do and I agree what did the law do the 613 Old Testament commandments what did they do what did the moral law do it taught me that I was not perfect that sin dwells in me I'm glad that the Holy Spirit dwells in me I'm thankful for that but I've got to watch my step every single day folks that's not legalism that's holiness. Take your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 14. 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance now what's the difference and i'm going to say a word it's not bad but it's 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 not a good word what's the difference between being ignorant and here's the word stupid if you will 
Yeah, ignorance is curable because ignorance is what? You absolutely don't know. I mean, it's like you had no clue about it. Ignorance is I don't know. And excuse the word stupid, but when we act that way, and uh, you've heard people call people that, that means they knew better but refused to do it. That's totally different. So God's saying, listen, when you were ignorant of biblical principles, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust in your ignorance before you knew Christ, before you were living for him, but as he, Jesus, who called you is holy, you also be holy in how much of your conduct? All your conduct. You say, oh, man, that's the last thing I wanted to hear. Folks, none of us want to hear it. But God says, listen, everything you do, everything you say, 365 days a year, seven days a week, every single hour, every single minute, God says, this is how I want you to be. I want you to be holy. What does holy mean? It means separated, separate from sin. Get away from it. Stay away from it. Fight it as hard as you can. It's not legalism. I don't think you've heard me say one thing. Well, you better do this or God's going to get you. Haven't heard that tonight, nor will I say it. Now, there's things that God doesn't like. There's things that God says he hates. And we struggle. Now, you say, well, why don't you name, name every single sin that you think I'm doing? I don't have that much time. Because there are so many different things we could do, every single one of us, that are not right. You know what's... You, folks, you know, I, I get uh, 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 people once in a while say, man, you know... I need to know what's right and wrong. Oh, you need to preach on that more. You need to hammer on certain things. Well, okay, Let, let's be honest. If you haven't figured out what right from wrong is, you probably haven't spent a whole lot of time in the Word of God. Let's just be honest. We know what's right and wrong. You know what's good and bad. You know why? Hello, this is the Holy Spirit speaking. Uh you think what you just did is appropriate? What's the answer? Either it's a yes or a no, and you already know the answer. Folks, I could preach on sin till the cows come home. We could scream and yell and pound and stomp and all the rest of it. Folks, you already know the answer. Now, there are certain things that uh, um, we do out of ignorance, and that's where he's talking about here. But we're talking about holiness, being separate from sin, not being indwelt, if you will, by sin. One more thing. Go over to, and here's where I was actually looking at when I said I was in 2 Corinthians. Go to chapter 5 in a very familiar verse, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, probably know it now just by the first word. Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a what? A new creation. Old things, quite frankly, the verb tense as it's translated in the King James, the New King James is not 100% up to snuff here. It says old things have passed away. It's actually the proper verb tenses are passing away. Behold, all things not have become. It's not a finished act yet. There are becoming new. That's the actual verb tense in the Greek. So what are we saying? Listen, if, all, if, if, if that verb tense was correct as written, we'd all be perfect. And as far as I know, now there may be a perfect person here, but I didn't see Jesus walk in. He's here, if you will, in spirit form, but uh, that's the only one that we can call perfect tonight. So when we look at this, it's like, okay, we're looking at, and this is, the, if you will, the metamorphosis passage. What happens? And uh, usually I put pictures up, but we're just going to imagine them tonight. So what happens? This is what takes place when you put your faith and trust in Christ. So that, that moth that, that, or that caterpillar, uh, it goes up into your tree, and you don't like seeing those things hanging off your tree. And that ugly little caterpillar uh, builds that cocoon around itself and uh, uh, hangs off that tree for a time. And all of a sudden, God does a miraculous thing to that caterpillar and that caterpillar turns into a beautiful what beautiful butterfly one of god's brilliant creations and all of a sudden uh, that butterfly begins to uh, open up that uh, chrysalis and, and and come out of uh, that 
cocoon, if you will. And here comes that beautiful butterfly, and all of a sudden he comes out, and all of a sudden the wings expand, and there it is in all its glory. One of God's beautiful creations. That's exactly what he's talking about here. He's saying, listen, uh, you come in like a, a yucky worm, if you will. You build this shell, and all of a sudden God does something miraculous with you. With you. And he says, if anyone is in Christ, in that cocoon, uh, uh, he is a, a new creation as he breaks out like a beautiful butterfly. Uh, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, you say, Brother Rich, and I'm going to close, believe it or not. 7 o'clock, I'm going to close. Ten more verses, Lewis, and I'm going to close. <laughs> He's like, I can't believe this. 7 o'clock, we're going to quit. I'll probably have a very long closing. <laughs> but here it is. Why do you love God? Think about it. Why do you love God? Now, if you're a Christian here tonight, and again, I think most of you are, and you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and every single one of us, here's the question. If I asked you tonight, who do you love more than anyone else in this world? If I gave you a survey, 90 plus percent of you would answer it in this way. You say, how do you know? Because I've read Barnum's reports and others when these questions are asked. And here's how you would answer this question. Who's the most important person in your life? And as a Christian, who are you going to put down as number one? I'm going to put down God. Absolutely, God is number one. Well, who's the second most important person in your life? And uh, we'll all come up with different answers. If you're married, in all likelihood, it's going to be your spouse and then your children. And on and on we go down the pecking order, if you will. Wait a second. What did I, how did I say I treated my little son before he grew up I said I spoiled the daylights out of that boy and I did fortunately he didn't turn out bad based on the way I raised him I didn't do a real good job because I spoiled him too much thank God for Valerie <laughs> keep that boy in line wait a second I love my dad I loved him dearly Towards the end of his life, he got a little cranky on me. When he got into his 90s, it's a little different. But I still loved him. But for 80 years, I look forward to seeing Dad. I look forward to talking with him. I look forward when I was a kid, we'd go out and work on cars together, help me build my first hot rod. That's a good dad. And I loved him dearly. I sat, and the one thing I asked for from my parents' home, my dad had, uh, and I've talked about this, and I, I'm going to remember to bring it one of these days. There's a, a wooden clock, and uh, the, uh, it was an electric clock with about a two-foot cord, really short. Why does that matter? I don't know. It was just a short cord. And uh, I, I, as a little boy, I'd sit by that clock, and I'd watch it. I mean, I, I just planted myself on the floor, five, six years old. I watched that clock because I know when it hits five o'clock, Daddy's going to come home. And I couldn't wait for Daddy to come home. My mom was hoping I'd fall asleep because here's what I'd do. And I did this <laughs> way too long. When Daddy got home, you know what the first thing? He'd go in and he'd get out of his, uh, he was a, a, a mechanical engineer. He had to wear a suit to work every day. And you know what Richie would do? He'd run in there and Dad's getting changed and I want Daddy's attention. And my wife, my wife, my, my mom, she was like, man, I wish you wouldn't let him come in here. I want to see you first. And you always let Richard come in. Why? Because I'd fight to see Daddy. Now, that's how much... I love my dad. Now, some of you got great relationships with dad or others. Maybe not. But I did, so I can relate to this. And, and, and may, can, can you relate to this? Man, I can't wait to wake up today so I can have a few minutes with Jesus. I can't wait to get into his word today. Uh, uh, man, I, this is phenomenal. This is great. I, I mean, I love it. And it's exciting. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do in my life today and how he's going to lead me and how I can serve him because I love him. 
Is that an obligation? Is that legalism? That's love. And it's like, man, I want to do right for God today. I want to tell others about Christ. I want them to enjoy a relationship like I have. God's big enough we can share them with other people. He's not going to take away from His love for you. Can I ask you the final question? Are you in love with Jesus tonight? Does He mean everything to you? How are you going to live out the grace of God? Father, thank you for your love for us. Oh, this is just exciting, exciting scripture that we went through tonight. Oh, yes, we make mistakes. Oh, yes, we fail at times. But oh, yes, you're there waiting, just like Daddy used to do, and he'd walk in and he couldn't wait to give his boy a hug and pick him up and give him a kiss. Father, I know that's the exact kind of relationship you want with each one of us. So, Father, may we, out of love and respect for who you are, help us to live holy, separate lives. Just as the Apostle Paul fought, if you will, the tough things that he had to deal with, Father, would you help us? We love you. We want to serve you. Finally, if you're here tonight, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, we gave the gospel earlier. We're all sinners. Not a single one of us deserved to go to heaven. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sin. He wants to have that personal relationship with you because he loves you. He loves you enough to die for you, and he did die for you. He paid all your sin. Every single piece is paid for. But unless you come to him and take, if you will, that free gift, it's not going to happen. Right there we are. If you've never given uh, uh, your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've never, if you will, trusted Him by faith, if you've never received that free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, right there where you are, would you exercise that faith and put your faith in the Lord Jesus tonight? Accept that free gift. For by grace are you saved. It's through faith alone. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any person should boast. Father, we commit all this to you. Thank you for your great love for us. And all God's